10, 9, 8. everyone welcome to a brand new episode of am i allowed to like anything i know it's definitely been a few weeks and i went on quite the hiatus but i'm really really excited to be back and also just to share some good news with you guys i had my second live show at the well-read black girl festival in brooklyn uh well-read black girl started as a collective of women that turned into a movement founded by glory edom and so i was really honored to be a part of their first festival Something else I'm really excited to share is that you'll be glad to know that I have finally brought an editor onto the Am I Allowed to Like Anything team. And you're probably wondering what that means for you and also for me. Well, number one, it means that I won't be editing my podcast any longer. And this is good news. This means that there's less stress and work for me to do in the production part of Am I Allowed to Like Anything? And it means that I can continue to focus more of my time and energy on booking guests, research, and shaping the content of Am I Allowed to Like Anything? So I'm really, really excited to have Jasmine Lopez join our team as an editor. Whew. Okay, so now that all that is over, let's dive into this episode. I'm really, really excited to have Andre Singleton in the studio with me. Andre is an artist, educator, and the co-founder of Very Black. Now, some of you may or may not have heard of Very Black before. Maybe you follow the Very Black Project on Instagram. Maybe you've seen people walking around with shirts on or canvas bags or even pins that boldly say Very Black. Well, Andre is the co-founder of this movement along with his creative partner Justin and Andre is an Afro-digital immigrant. To Andre his first interactions and definitions of art actually started with television and the internet itself. We talk about why that is and what that means. We also talk about his journey in battling cancer, uh, his life-changing trip to Bahia, El Salvador, Brazil, and what the phrase very black actually means. Andre is someone who I've known for the past couple of years, but in the past few months, we've kept in touch and we've grown closer, sending emails and just talking over the phone. And a part of this came because I wanted him to be on my podcast. So I'm really, really excited to release this episode and for you to learn from Andre about his fascinating journey through life. Remember that you can rate and subscribe to Am I Allowed to Like Anything on iTunes, listen on SoundCloud, and always join the conversation using the hashtag A-I-A-T-L-A. Oh, and just a heads up that Andre and I had to head into the studio twice due to some technical difficulties, but it ended up being for the best. So after the music break, you'll notice that we kind of try to pick up where we left off. Shout out to Granddad. Granddad taught me how to produce. He taught me how to not make things about myself, but for the greater community. <laughs> community. Granddad Nunley. He did, though. He told me a quote, too, that stuck with me forever. He was, I forget the percentage, so I'll just throw it out there. He said, let's say children, young people make up 30, 40% of the population, yeah. but make up 100% of the future. <sighs> quote. So that stayed with me, and that stays with me. So I'll be shouting out the babies and posting videos of them singing Bodak Yellow, but for geography class. Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about that video for a uh, second, absolutely. though? That woman. For, actually, BuzzFeed did a post on her, and I was so glad that we did. Because, BuzzFeed did? Yeah, BuzzFeed Dope. News did a post on her, talked to her and everything. Oh, did. She's been an educator. She's an educator, poet. She went to Hampton University. Yes. H-U. H-U, you know, you know. allegedly. I didn't go there, but. Well, we I... can show our sisters <laughs> and brothers some love. Yes. We yeah, can act yeah. like H-U. H-U, you know. <laughs> but um but she is a, a dynamic woman yeah she is and i'm really appreciative i think her school is in harlem i want to say is it harlem children's zone i think so yeah they lit well i'll i'll confirm that and i'll also put the link in the in the uh podcast Ashe. description she's lit though she's so lit andre i'm so happy and excited to have you here thank you um, I, and I, 
I mean, as we already said, I feel like our friendship has been one big, long, ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. And when we see each other, it it lightens up my entire life. Same. And so I wanted to have you on my podcast because I know that people know what you and Justin have created through Very Black. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not 100% for sure how what people also know about about your life and that's also an extension of the things that you've created in mm-hmm. your optimism for life and, and pessimism and, and there's yes and <laughs> pessimism and how you maintain it in this yeah. world that we live in for sure. and how you I'm, I'm trying to think of a better phrase than, than keep it real but you you have a very realistic mm. perspective on the world and one that that doesn't shy away from the horrible things that happen right and you but when people see you, it's like you bring this glow, mm. you know, through your dance. Oh, I cannot wait to talk about dance later. Okay, that sounds exciting. So, okay, so let's, you know, this is the question I ask all of my guests when we start off is talk to me about how you grew up in Missouri. I mean, I grew up so many ways. I also grew up in San Diego. So I grew up in Kansas City and San Diego. Where were you born? In Kansas City, Missouri. In Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, I was born in, ooh, I think I was born in Truman Medical Center. Um, I think that's where a lot of my family members were born in Kansas City. I'm the oldest. I have three younger brothers and a little sister. Um, on my mom's side, I have two younger brothers and a little sister who mm-hmm. I grew up with in Kansas City. Uh, my family has always we always grew up near our relatives. So my grandma lived up the street, or cousins lived across the street. People didn't live far, so I definitely grew up around family. I grew up infatuated with art, whether I realized or articulated it as art then or not. Mm. And that being like um, dance, music. Okay. I was going to ask, was it like visual art or was it the totally. performing? I love TV. Okay. I love the computer. Oh I my think gosh. that now these conversations around like visual art are shifting because I think that I didn't feel included in a conversation around visual art because visual art to me was like technology. Mm. And that was being on the computer and being in being in front of a television set, like watching TV I because see. that was access to so many different things at one time. Mm. But always, I think within the past, I don't know, majority years of my life, everything's visual art has to be like a, a painting, a, a mixed collage, a mixed media. Yeah. They don't really think about like. A, like Black Planet as a part of like learning how to code in those type of ways. Yeah, so you kind of viewed art for you was it was dance in in theater, but also like you viewed visual art as like what you were seeing on the internet. Oh yeah, that's really first TV, then the internet. They okay, because I got on the, I got online probably around eight or nine years old. Okay, and I'm 31 now, so. That was before even grown-ups were online. <laughs> like it was, I was just, it was. It was just and would you guys like have a have like a family computer, or how were you getting online at school? Cousins, my older cousin John, who's like an uncle. Who's, mm-hmm. You know, you got a cousin so old, not old, but you know, old enough to be your uncle. Mm-hmm. Probably because he's close in age to my mom. I could never look at him as a big cousin because I used to, you know bicker with my cousins but with him you couldn't bicker with john yeah and so uh, john wayne and he would um give me these like he would teach me how to type it's so crazy like the older i've gotten the more i realized i'm john wayne except i'm not around all the little kids in my family all the time because john wayne would just teach sit me on his lap and show me how to use a computer mm-hmm. like how to type he's like type your name don't look at the keys and i'm like <laughs> How? That's such a good exercise, quite <laughs> and frankly. Like, and like seven, eight, nine years old. So then, um, I guess around that same time, I mean, this is like what, 96, 97, 98, 90s, um, the AOL CD-ROMs were coming out where you use the disc yes. to get access to the internet. But it wasn't like Flash Player, HTML. It wasn't any of that. It was just like a web page. It go up and down. Yeah, you know no, I, I totally remember that. <laughs> like the block. The CD-ROMs, and then you would get a new one in the mail whenever there was an upgrade. I didn't, but John Wayne would get them, and then I would okay. hang out with him when our family, because our families live close, our, my family yeah. members, live, we live close to each other, so it would also become a thing like, if John Wayne was around, I would ask him, I'm like, Mama, can we see John Wayne? Can we hang out with John? And 
I would learn different things. And so it went from just like typing in games. Because mm. I remember the computer before it had internet. I think now people see computers and because of Wi-Fi, you automatically assume the internet is a part of that computer device. I remember being the opposite. I remember being amazed when a computer had the internet. Because mm. I would just use computers for their games. Right, and paint. And typing. Yeah. You know, and like <laughs> the little uh, fonts, like webdings, like playing with those things. So John eventually, when he did get the CD-ROMs, he would let me play with them. And I use it a lot differently than probably he was using it as an adult. He was probably, I imagine, I need to talk to him. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, I imagine him as an adult. So John was probably like my age now, maybe a little mm -hmm. older. Um, my mom had when she was 19. Yeah, so this, I'm gagging right now. Anyway, so John... You're thinking back. Oh, this is so nostalgic. Because I, I, I don't think people really know the value of Sankofa, of reflection. And I try to mm. reflect on things as much as possible because it also contextualizes yes. everything. Yes. So hanging out with John... Um, and and I'm curious to know about this. Like, how were you growing into yourself? And that's a broad question. Yeah. But I want to know, just in terms of your identity, like, as you kind of bring up that point of reflecting back on who you were and, and the things that were happening to you and around you, like, I'm interested to know about, like, your teenage years oh or, or maybe before that or even after that. Like, I want to talk about, about Morehouse because I, absolutely but I kind of before we get to that I want to talk a little bit about your identity back Definitely. then and so that ties in perfectly because online I was able to because at the same time I'm a kid so I'm learning how to use the inner I'm teaching myself I'm really autodidactic so I'm teaching myself how to use this whenever I get a chance so I absorb as much of I can while I'm online, and then when I'm not online, I'm like using the Dewey Decimal System, learning how to use the library at elementary school. Mm -hmm. But I'm realizing other kids, now in retrospect, realizing other kids aren't using that as well, mm. because it wasn't until maybe a year or so later we had a computer class introduced to us with Miss Cheeto. And you had already been on already the computer, on yeah. Yeah, she would like push shoebox, shoeboxes over our hands, and she taught us the home row key. <laughs> so I was whipping through it, because John yeah. already told me right. how to use, how to type without looking. And so, I, I, so those things were a struggle because I would also get in trouble for like getting my work done and talking to people <laughs> or telling people how they should do it, which was different than the teachers. Because mm -hmm. basically I was telling them like, maybe it's different for you. Maybe you don't learn that way. But they used to, they used to cause it. So as far as identity, I started feeling like kind of like a troublemaker mm. because I was told that I think too much or I need to relax or why do I need to know all these things? But I'm also getting like exclusive lessons on how to use the future, but also at the same time being taught how to use it by myself. Mm. So all these things I'm now realizing played into like how very black can be the way that it is now because I've been on all these devices and, and social media things before they're a thing. And yeah. I'm also intentionally thinking about what it means to me. So identity... Um, once I remember before it was only Google, there was like, was it Hot Mama, uh, Hotbox, Ask Jeeves, Google, Yahoo? There were yeah. so many search engines, and I yeah. used them all because I wanted to <laughs> know if I could find something different. Mm -hmm. So I remember reading things as simple as researching things like, oh my God, this is so crazy. Um, will you go to hell if you like boys? Yes. You know, like really these yeah. things that like I could never say out. Mm. of my mouth mm -hmm. but like if i was by myself and had enough time to delete some cookies i would be researching and you know how to delete them <laughs> cookies. you know how to delete them cookies so that was real a part of a really important part of my identity because i also was on in chat rooms so here i am having a chance to communicate with people without seeing them mm -hmm. and also understanding that i could ask say whatever they could ask me say whatever they want so there's this level of just uh communication and transparency that happened, I think, at a young age with strangers. But I had a different relationship with strangers because I was like, how can I be a stranger? Okay, I don't know them physically or I've never seen them, but like, I know it's the other person on, this, on the other side of the computer also writing and talking and going through things. And they're telling me about everything they've go gone through that day or their lives. Right, but, but now Most when I think don't. about the very black like online community, you've created such a... You have cre 
it's one thing to get likes. Yeah. On let's even take Instagram. It's one thing to get likes. It's a whole other thing when you can get people to evoke how they feel on Absolutely. a in a comment. You know. Absolutely. And that's like probably what I love so much about the account <laughs> is like even as someone who like doesn't ever comment on people stuff that I don't know. I'm on I'm on very black like yeah. Yes. Yeah. One hundred. But okay, so talk to me about being in a place where you. Wanted to go to Morehouse. Okay, so where were you at in your life? So because this is important, people aren't going to understand. I think yet they need to contextualize. Contextualization. Yes, I love that word. By the way, me too. Well, actually, my major in college, I didn't graduate from Morehouse, so this is Mm -hmm. story of my life. It's always doing a bunch of things. Yeah, Um, I study arts in context. Culture, media studies, and dance at the new school at Eugene Lang. So I realized I've just been a person that's just been like, because to me, contextualization really is synthesizing, you know? And a synthesis is like, it could be as simple as a remix to a song. Yeah. It's being able to put things together and and make it uh, accessible and palpable and like Mm -hmm. all these different things. So my journey to Morehouse, so I lived in Kansas City for those years, my childhood, and then at the end of eighth grade, I went to visit my father and his wife, um, who, my stepmother, who lived in San, they lived in San Diego, and I was supposed to be visiting for a summer, mm-hmm. but I ended up staying. Why'd you end up staying? I wanted to know my father. Mm. I wanted to get so to So you him. liked him, like he was someone who... He's my dad. Yeah. I wanted to know him. Okay. I mean, I have his name too, and I look like him. <laughs> so it wasn't City. like a st- well, you know, like some some kids, their their dads aren't. Well, you know, well, we all have different relationships with our parents, but it was like your dad was someone who was he there for you? You felt like even before you had like spent that summer with him in San Diego, or was this like a getting to know you process? This was a getting to know, but I had, okay. I had hung out with them sometimes. Okay. but I knew my mom. Okay, I knew my mom. I knew my mom because. She was there for me at those times when when I really needed it. Like mm-hmm. when I'm, thank you for helping me synthesize this too. So those yes. times when Miss Cheeto's like, you know what, if Mr. Single don't be quiet, I'm going to nail his head to the barnyard door. Yeah. You know, like that's when my mom would be there to talk to me about how I felt about that. You know, because I was always a kid you could reason with. And so it would be like, Andre, why, why won't you be quiet? And it's like, I'm um, like, Already, John told me how to do this already, and like, she then just because she tells them to put boxes on their hand don't mean they're gonna learn how to type. <laughs> like it was to me, it just made so much sense, and I was like, Andre, just you know. So it's a, a matter of me always being reflective on mm-hmm. what my mom wanted, what my teachers wanted, what did I want, who am I virtually, virtually, <laughs> so funny, um, and so. With my father, I wanted to just get to know him. He's in the Navy. San Diego was a beautiful place. And I think just very early on, I had already had some challenge, some some uh, family stuff, some challenges growing up in Kansas City too. So it was a fresh start. Okay. So staying with him, um, I got to know him and my younger brother. I have another brother. That's my other brother, um, Najee. My brother's Jerron. Got to shout him out, Jerron, young Jerron. Hey. Najee. Hey. 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 <laughs> Come on, y'all. Uh, Ryan and Jay. Jay's my little sister. She's Amazing. the baby girl. Menage and, and, and Jay, my, my stepmom. So that was very interesting because California is also very different than the Midwest. So you got me living with family members that I don't really know well outside of a vacation for like a week when I'm a kid to the weather being beautiful all the time. Yeah. And I'm now went from a black school in the Midwest to like a majority white school with a larger Mexican population of black. Mm-hmm. And I got this country accent from Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that accent any longer. I mean, some people, I mean, I feel like Cardi B. I mean, I mean it's there. <laughs> like. So it's one of those things where I had a, wow, I've been thinking about her a lot, a mentor who recently transitioned and passed on this lifetime, um, Mrs. Chaco Quayana, who really introduced me to Morehouse. And she mm. was the one that was like, you know about Morehouse? This is a great school. I think you would appreciate it. Morehouse, um, Spike Lee went there. Dr. King went there. And I just was really proud to be like, wow, this exists. And so I started being interested in that school. It was between there and UC Berkeley. Okay. Very different. Okay. And so then... On that track in high school to do that. And I was like an athlete. Too. I'm still an athlete, but in high school, like, I ran track. Track is my favorite. I played football, and I wrestled. So I was a letterman. I did really well academically. Um, 
still had problems communicating. It was kind of like Mr. Singleton, this got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really just hell bent on going there. But then mm -hmm. I left San Diego to move back to Kansas City at the end of my uh, junior year. Okay. And Morehouse got really real because it was much closer. Mm. And I had by this time done more research on it. It was like, wow, this could really work. This is something mm. I can see myself at. The only problem was not having a support financially. So I was really committed to just making it work. So I applied for, I think, every... And so this is like 2003, 2004, mm -hmm. where everyone had that long-ass email list of all these, yeah. these scholarships you can apply for. Yeah. So I literally applied for like as many of those as I could. I applied for local scholarships in Kansas City. I applied for scholarships that I would have been eligible for in San Diego. I applied for Morehouse scholarships. Also, before that was crowdfunding and things like that, mm -hmm. I was like hitting you people were, up yeah. oh, on the main line, yeah. church, everywhere. They were calling people yes. like, hey, I want to go to this school. $10. And if you don't believe yeah. that you, it's okay to give to me, you can call Morehouse and put it on my account. Mm -hmm. I'll send you my acceptance letter. Yeah. You know, and that was something that was just really, really important because I felt like I would have, I, I felt like, first of all, I just needed warmer weather. I got spoiled. <laughs> I'm like, warmer weather is important. And also being in an environment with other thinking uh, black men was really important. And yeah. I was, uh, I don't know how it sounds. It's so weird. I feel like I was one of the guy, the black guys who did well academically. Like, it was always like, Andre get an A, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Or he'll be the one to go to college. But at the same time, still living with all of the other impending dooms that black men deal with mm -hmm. so my own self-doubt my own fears my own you know just trying not to make sure i get in my own way but mainly my biggest thing was just like not feeling supported in the ways that i wish my family could have supported me to go to school because my mm -hmm. dad was like you should go to the navy yeah my mom was like why not a junior college so i didn't want to feel like i was shitting on what they thought was best for me but i was hell-bent so i ended up going to the freshman summer program pre-freshman summer program which started a couple weeks after I graduated in 2004. And I started late, so I was a little behind. And I started, I think it was, I don't know how much it cost, let's say $2,000, and I had like 1000 to get there. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and then it was cool because I did well academically, and then I they waived the other 1000 Oh, amazing. So, because I always knew, I just got to be there. Yes. I got to be there. Yeah, if you could just, yeah, if you could just be there and show people. And also thinking about, and this is, and this is one way that we've talked about how we're alike. People who love you and are close to you will have this idea of what they think are really feasible routes right. for you to go. Right. And you don't want to seem like. You are reject. First of all, you don't want to seem like you're rejecting their suggestions. Mm -hmm. You also don't want to seem like you are thinking more of yourself by other by Absolutely. other. But it's also like in your head, you know. Yes. You know that you can do it. You know that you can have it because you've seen it, it's it's feasible for you. Mm -hmm. So, you 100%. know, you yeah, you got yourself there halfway, and the other halfway came like came to you. Exactly, and it's similar to what happened once the uh, actual academic year started because once it's so we lived on campus and after the program ended mama chico again wow she um had some buddies that she grew up with or mm -hmm. she arranged it to where i this is my first time living on my own so i had a chance to see what it was like to pay for rent and lodge you know pay for lodging you know mm -hmm. so she's like i have these friends they're like family but you're gonna rent their room so you're going to pay them. They're going to tell you an amount. You pay what you, you know, you let them know what you can pay and you pay it no matter what on time. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have all my money for the school year yet, but I knew that if I stayed in Atlanta, then I would be able to at least go to campus every day and just be like, yeah, hey, Mr. Stotts, that Oprah Winfrey scholarship coming yet? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And essentially that's what happened. So I stayed with them. So I learned so many things at one time. So I stayed with them and I spent all my money that I had, like, graduation money that people had given me. Mm -hmm. I spent all that just to get to Atlanta. And more than anything, the little bit that I wanted to have outside of a couple loans from some loved ones was to pay my rent. Yeah. And what was amazing is that the Trotters ended up feeding me, you know. So right. part of with the lodging came a meal. That wasn't a part yeah. of it, but because I was paying my rent, 
that came with it. Yeah. And this is a black family, mm -hmm. you know, in Atlanta, who's this their home. They've already mm -hmm. raised three children. Yeah. Yeah. They've already, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. So how did you end up leaving Morehouse? So I made it to Morehouse. Mm -hmm. So I, after it worked out, I ended up, the funds that I had some received from someone that I earned from under this, from the scholarships that I mentioned before and from uh, just people donating, being a blessing, the difference was made up with the Oprah Winfrey Scholarship, which mm -hmm. I ended up earning and receiving. So Shout out I'm, to Oprah Winfrey. Shout out to Oprah. Shout out to Oprah. You know, for real. We yeah. met. I told her about that. Did you? I was going to ask her. I was going to ask you. Are you kidding me? If you haven't met her before. Because you would have gone to the, the Oprah Winfrey scholars go to South Africa Oh, as a part of it. Did you go to South Africa? No, because oh. I was only there for such a short amount oh, of time. Oh, I see, I see. But I have been to South Africa and I thought of Oprah. Yeah, and you have met Oprah. All right, so look at it. Synthesis. Synthesis. Contextualization. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I was there a week before homecoming. So mm -hmm. that was five weeks into my first semester of my freshman year. And then that's when I noticed a lump on my neck, which was the cancer. Mm -hmm. So that lump was a tumor leading from, like, my collarbone, the top left collarbone, down my chest in, like, a, how many inches do you think that is? Three. Three inches in uh -huh. width and maybe, like, eight inches. Okay, so... I couldn't see it. You couldn't see it. In, but it was inside. Okay, so, f in, in like, physically, you could not see that no. tumor, so it wasn't it wasn't poking out any place. Only was... at the top by my collarbone. Got it, okay. It was, like, a... It felt hard, like not like a bone, mm -hmm. but it had a core. Like yeah. it was something that was like a ligament done slipped, but I knew nothing slipped. Yeah. You know? I knew that there was something really weird about that. So I had to do uh, a bunch of x rays in infirmary. And then that's when a doctor at the time, oh, and Dorcas Rouse, why wow, I've not thought about these people in so long. <laughs> oh my goodness. Probably also because this time of year is coming up. Mm -hmm. So that makes things really tough as well. So. Um, the doctor and the nurse did the x-rays and they were like, oh, we need, what's your mother's number or your parents? How can we reach your parents? We need to contact them to give them an update. And that's when I found out that I, uh, had to leave because my insurance was out of network mm -hmm. and that I need to actually get some serious tests, like a biopsy, biopsy and, a, you know, PET scan and CAT scan and MRIs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I didn't even get started. I didn't even go to homecoming. I remember you talking about that. It's on the on the other interview that that oh, I listened yeah, to with Ariel. Yeah. So okay, I want to know because I've never experienced this, and I also I, my grand my grandfather died from lung cancer. Oh, my respect. But thank you. But like I wasn't always there when he was going th going through that, and so I'm interested for you. Like, what do you remember just from? beating cancer like what what's that like like how would you describe that to some to someone like me I think that the experience felt and feels extremely physical but through that physical experience with this experience specifically with cancer it's stretched me more than anything mentally mm -hmm. psycho like emotionally mm -hmm spiritually, sexually, financially, mm -hmm. and all these ways that I thought the focus would be on my physicalness. My physicalness, for sure. So physically, what it feels like is I don't have the strongest immune system. Mm -hmm. um, and so I also get tired easily, which is really ironic because I'm a dancer and a runner. <laughs> so I'm like making my body work harder mm -hmm. so it can be well. So physically, it's it can be draining, but emotionally, it can... For instance, I, you can hear it in my voice. I'm getting over like a, the sniffles, uh, my allergies, and so it, it, as far as like when it comes to recovering from things, it can take a little longer than other okay. people. And I don't look like it, whatever that means to people. I think I look like this perfect picture held to people, young, strong black man, whatever that means. As though young black, strong men don't get sick or are injured, and have different, just have different bodies than what right. they have been historically. Um, presented as so mm -hmm. so the congestion things like that um take a little longer which can be a little bit it can be really irritating um but emotionally also oh like so with the cough with my allergies anytime i get a cough the first thing in my mind is the cancer did the cancer come back mm. um and what happened is i 
had a cancer scare last year in 2016. So it totally solidified all of my fears for the past 11 years when I had that cough come back, Mm -hmm. you know, because that cough wasn't cancer, but that cough was a, a, a trigger to make sure I tell my oncologist and that the appropriate measures be taken to make right. sure that I'm okay. Right, which like can also just make you nervous because you now you know you have to go through this route. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and it's different now because it it'll be different. I'm not 18 anymore. I'm a lot more grounded. Um, and it's like it's like facing an enemy again. You know, it's like it's it. So again, like mentally, it's really tough because mentally and spiritually because. The world wants to be the ones to say, don't worry about it. It's okay. Have faith. This, 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 and this. But mentally and emotionally, I know that the shit's real. Yeah. And it's it like, can come back. And it's like, don't say that to me. Right. It's like, no, this is real. This is something that could really happen, that has happened to me, could happen to me again. And felt like for six months, this is happening to me right yeah. now. Yeah. Woo. And getting surgery again and taking, having a month to physically be able to heal enough to be able to go back out. Into mm. the world, and the world is January and February in New York City, so it's freezing. So it's not the world, it's hell again. And yeah, not, and then like not being able, to, and just also again, a part of my body being open again. I've had a total of like maybe 10 or 11 surgeries since 2004. Okay, none of them cosmetic. I wish I'm trying to get some things. <laughs> I'm trying to get some things. Okay, <laughs> my chin. Anyways, I'm just kidding for anyone listening who knows me. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm kind of serious. I'm like, don't <laughs> honestly, I don't even want to like start confessing my like kind of plastic surgery things. I want. Oh man, Anyways. I love when black people talk about everything. Let me talk about body politics. I think that I could get my chin, not mm-hmm. my chin. Like, I don't know what is this part called? Like right under your chin. I would say under chin. Under chin. But I think I could stuff. just get it like snatched a little, like up through my neck. I think that that would be I cute. I think nothing's wrong with that. Yeah, like I like I might low key get that one day when I if I have the money. And if not, I t- I'm totally okay with it, and I and I love it. Absolutely. And it, and this is not something that stresses me out. But if I could, I would. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing. Like I think about body. So my body has been modified against my will so many times. So if there's a part of me that I want to get snatched. Yes. It's like. I don't give a fuck what nobody got to say. Yeah, oh my God. Now I'm thinking about my other like pl- possible plastic surgery. <laughs> oh, I want to get a breast reduction for sure. See, like those things, like people here, they just like, uh-uh, like botch, botch. I'm like, <laughs> What? Yo, oh my God. They, they're running amok. That's, totally, that's totally a real thing and something, but like... Uh, I'm not talking about going to the, to the Dominican Republic to get my... And if you <laughs> did, it's not that that's okay. I think that I'm getting into a lot of plastic surgery politics that I don't know enough about. But all I'm saying is that okay. something I've always wanted was to get a breast reduction, but I'm told to have it after I have kids. Because I just want to be able to wear a shirt without wearing a bra, which I could technically do now, but like... it, Yeah, it's like, it would just be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Which is the point. Which and is the point of me wanting to get the reduction. it's your body. Yeah. It's your body. After all the oh, I feel gone so through, set free now that I've <laughs> talked about this. Listen, son, like my thing is, son, it's S U N. My body has been through so much that when I see someone just just living, that I I'm thankful they want to share anything with me. We don't yeah. have to share anything with anyone. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's a very people take it for granted. I think the internet and social media can have people thinking that they have a different type of access that they actually have to other people's bodies. Yeah. Because of what they post versus what they share intimately. And that's a very fun I love nuanced conversations. So, yeah. that could be another like 6-hour I I, uh, I IRL conversation, honestly. IRL. Okay, so one more question about about when you have cancer cuz I because I just want people to, like, kind of I appreciate understand, or not understand, but to get a perspective of, of what it's like. At least for me, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. How long did you, when when were you, when did you officially become, like, in remission from, like, the first time you found out you had cancer? Like, how long was this process for you? So I noticed a lump around, uh, what's that, October-ish? Mm-hmm. Had my first surgery... November. Okay. So I think that's when the process started. Like okay. The moment, no, but I would say the first, the first process started with the X-rays, but as it, that takes a while. Yeah, mm. and so then once I had to drink the contrast for the PET scan, and for those who don't know what a PET scan is, it's like, you pretty much drink this, uh, 
this dye that pretty much highlights whatever cancer activity, certain sugar activities within your body. You have to lie flat for like an hour and you can't move and the machines just, you feel, I felt like I was like in the movie Alien or something. Yeah. This machine's just moving. And it's a huge machine and it's freezing and I'm scared and I'm And alone. you're there in there for a long time. And I'm sweating and it's like the contrast, I always have an allergic reaction. I've thrown up in it in every, every occasion. They still haven't, they're like, we're sorry, Mr. Singleton, just try not to vomit. And that's hard. No, yeah. that's not true. The last last year, I didn't. I didn't. But I just, you know, I'm like, I just redecorate for them. So I look at it. <laughs> and so that is when I feel like it started. But so November had my um, biopsy. And I told the biopsy. Then November had put in a porter catheter. And a porter catheter is a device that they put along my jugular, which is the largest blood vein, mm-hmm. aside from the heart, so that when the medication was uh, put into the device, it would go directly to my bloodstream. Okay. And that was the chemotherapy. So I finished treatment April 22nd, 2005. Okay. And I remember that day. April 22nd, 2005. Yes. Because I was supposed to have another round of chemo, and my doctor, Dr. Myron, had a look on his face kind of like, you're actually done. (gasps) I would have jumped up and, like, screamed. I wept. I wept. I mean, that's the thing, even going back, like, this whole cancer experience has, like, amplified my emotions. Mm. So every news is a direct hit to me, you know, to this day, to this day. So that's been really challenging. Actually, before we talk about Very Black, tell me about your connection to Brazil Brazil, and maybe more specifically Bahia. Uh, Maybe? I'm not 100%. Sí, claro. Salvador Bahia, mi otra casa. Adoro ese, ese lugar. Okay, so you said Brazil is my other home. Sí. Uh, wait, repeat that second sentence. You I said? don't know what I said. That's okay. I, for, I forget. Maybe but. yo adoro ese lugar. I adore this place. Okay. I do. Oh, jamais. Jamais is too much. That's my favorite like word. I. What does that mean? Jamais means too much. Mm. But they, but it's. I love the fact that too much is one word. <laughs> <laughs> like they'll be like. Uh, Elia Jemais. Like, yeah. he's too much. But it's endearing. It's never, like, bad. I love it, yeah. It's like, Jemais. <laughs> Come on, Jemais. My love for... So, okay, so this is perfect timing. So I ended up coming to New York. I was actually working for uh, 40 Acres and a Mule, Spike Lee's film company, for a couple of years. And then when that job ended, oh, I was I didn't his know assistant. That. Okay, huh? you were his assistant. Yeah, I worked closely with him and his other assistants. And um, I... Went to, I started at the new school because I had three really good friends that were studying at Parsons, um, which is the design school, Pia, Sasha, and Heather. And after like two years, they like, yo, son, you really, really need to just go back to school. But I had all this PTSD around school, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. it's expensive, traumatic, because I didn't want to go back to Morehouse after that either. Yeah. You know, things change. And you also, like, you also, school it was this place where you're just supposed to go and learn it but you had so many other things that you had to yes. do to get yourself there and it's like do i want to put myself yes. through that again yes exactly anyways continue yes. thank you for understanding totally and so they were just like it's gonna be different we will help you so um them and another friend helped me they edited my paper my you know my my um my essay topics and things like that and filling out the actual application And so I started there, and I knew I started at Eugene Lang, which is the liberal arts school at at the new school. And while I was there, the first thing that let me know if I was going to study there was if I could study abroad. Mm. Because I knew that the huge part of getting an Oprah scholarship, aside from being Oprah, was you going to South Africa. Right. So with this, I was like, nothing is going to, if I'm going to school, I'm studying Studying abroad. abroad. And so they were like, yeah, so part of it. So after my first year, I mean, my my first semester, which I earned a 3.9. My you first are semester. so smart. Don't even talk to me, honestly. Yo, but I got A minus in dance. Imagine that. I was <gasps> tight. <laughs> I was like, it's over for me. <laughs> so I um, was researching. And so after that first semester, I went to the Dominican Republic just okay. as a vacation to myself. And it was amazing being there, being black, being Andre, Andre, Andre. Yeah, yeah. And I never, I mean, I knew about the history because of Mrs. Quayana learning about the diaspora, mm-hmm. but I hadn't felt it in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of living in Washington Heights, so DR was the first country I went to. Okay. And so when I got there, I, when I went back, when I returned home, I was like, okay, I can't just go to one place. Right. And so I was researching programs like I could do, like a uh, one 
month here, one month here, one month here. Then I came across Semester at Sea, and I remember the show from MTV. So I did Semester at Sea. You did Semester at Sea. And that's when I went to Bahia. You lucky motherfucker. It was (laughs) I went so hard in the paint. I went hard in the paint like I was applying to Morehouse and getting those scholarships again. Yeah. And I crowdfunded to get the money to go to that. Amazing. So that's how you went to Brazil. That's how I went to Brazil. We went to 13 ports. And I remember... Kind of been disappointed that I wasn't going to Rio because I didn't know much about Salvador. Mm-hmm. But then everyone who I told I was going to Salvador was like, no, no, Andre. That is where you need to be. That's where your black ass needs to be. <laughs> like, you, your name is Andre. You dance. You you love culture. You are very smart. You love the ocean. And you black as fuck. This is where you need to be. <laughs> are back in the studio mm-hmm. first of all <laughs> you will look at me like I'm crazy <laughs> I know I, well I'm just enchanted that's all I'm really grateful and happy that we're back in the studio to re-record a part that got cut off same and if I re- if my memory serves me correctly it we had basically like just ended the talk on your cancer recovery mm-hmm. when you initially had cancer and it means Beat that battle. Hell yeah. Fuck that hoe. Okay, so let's... let's. I, I want to revisit the the birth of Very Black, which did not even start as an organization. No. Talk to me about how it really started. No, it didn't start as a... It's... it's I mean, I, Very Black has always essentially existed. Um, we... Justin Fulton and I... Justin and I lived together for years, and... Even when I would leave the country and like move back, I live Justin and I live together. So it's a family dynamic, and people have to also understand what living in New York City is like. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand what it's like to live in the city as a young person who does not have the means to live comfortably, but builds community and makes it work. Makes and then, it worth it. And that's when culture always is created. Right. You know? Um, so Justin and I would have these kitchen talks. Like, just... He would leave his bedroom, I would leave my bedroom, we'd be in the kitchen, either someone got off work earlier, someone got in late, someone's tipsy, someone's happy, someone's dealing with, like, I don't know, drama. But we end up having these conversations, and I guess the core of it will always be linked to being black in some way. Um, And it wasn't like, it's because I'm black. It would literally be like, yo, that's very black. You know what I mean? Like, like you are crazy. You are so black. Like, you really did that. It's like, what? <laughs> and so very black. I, like, for instance, I personally studied, uh, I studied at the new school and I studied culture, media studies and mm-hmm. dance. And so one of my first homework assignments in my history of the internet class was to make a hashtag in 2007. So I've been speaking in hashtags well before it took on like the past several years for real Mm -hmm. and so i was speaking hashtags you know we would say stuff like hashtag that's very black you know um and again it's like in 2014 before it's hashtags are even what they are today so that's what it started out as and then for my birthday in 2014 justin made me a t-shirt and he made him a t-shirt because i didn't know what i was going to wear i just had a small get together Mm -hmm. um i think there are probably about 10 15 friends there the whole night in our apartment and I literally, he's just like, girl, relax, I got you, I'm going to get you together. (laughs) So he presumes to come home, and I'm getting ready, and he's just like, boom. And it's a very black t-shirt, like the original one. And I'm just like, what? And explain to me how, how, what it looked like. Like, how how did it look like he made it? Um, It was a white t-shirt, very good quality. Justin's a very classy guy, a very classy chap. So, and then the letters... The letters were like almost like um, like pressed on, mm-hmm. like old school, like baseball jerseys and football jerseys, like back in the day, like our parents' time. When their yeah. football jerseys, they would be shiny and the letters would look a certain way, like they 
glue them on there yes. and that had that kind of like the vintage feel to it and it and it, and it fit he's a designer and we're best friends so he knows my body like he's mm -hmm. he knows what will look good on me and i talked to him about what i like um and so he made this and it just it just fit like a glove and it's a perfect size because i kind of like this medium oversized look mm -hmm. um i'm done with the little bitty tight american apparel tees <laughs> with the you know the deep v okay fair that was very 2000 seven 2008 mm -hmm. but um so that's what it looked like and so i had this sheen you know yes. and so me i'm super conceptual so i'm just like oh my god black people are very sheen we love to be moisturized so the very black ain't ashy it looked like you know yeah. it's sheeny and so that night when i wore it all the friends that came over to the apartment were just kind of like gagging so it was like a simultaneous gag yeah. or when we saw someone opening the door it's just like oh, where's mine Yes. How can I get one? Yeah. And me and Justin were just kind of like, we, uh, uh, we don't have the answers. To right. right now. And it was exciting to, because people don't realize either, because we haven't talked about it much, but Justin and I for years have been wanting to write a children's book. Mm -hmm. So we had our goals set on that. So we're sending fonts and talking about what the main character of a children's book would look like. We weren't anticipating the very black project. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that kind of just like blew us out the water. And talk to me about when you decided to bring it from feeling and shirt and like a physical product to for yourselves mm -hmm. to a community online and also to in thinking honestly specific specifically about Instagram and also a website where you could you know sp spread the me the message for other people who wanted to spread it. Good and question. tell other people that they were very black. Exactly. So it all just happened so organically. Justin has, um, I mean, his fingers on the pulse. So and he's he's super savvy when it comes to like actual website building, coding, things like that. And so I'm I'm a voice. Like I'm a performance artist. Um, I can do the bare essentials. So for me, it was natural. Like take a picture of me. I'm gonna put it on Instagram because mm -hmm. it's my birthday, and I don't I don't give a fuck. So. That was what it was. And so the Instagram we had made around that time, because keep in mind, there was like a moment before the T-shirts were even made because we didn't know what we, we didn't know how to source them. We didn't know. We were yeah. just kind of like, what do we do? And at the same time, we're loving it, but we're getting bombarded with people that are like, I got to connect you with this person. I've got to connect you. My, it's still my birthday. So <laughs> I'm just like, I want to have fun, y'all. Um, and so the Instagram account. My birthday is December 23rd. We just started an Instagram account. We wanted it to be a, to be very black, but somehow that was taken. So I love projects, and like Justin also is project-based. Mm -hmm. We're project-oriented. We, mm -hmm. we went to the new school. Yeah. So thinking in the project format was like, why not the very black project? And also the, the, the spin on in terms of the projects. You know, we live in Bed-Stuy. We live across the street from the PJs, and like having grown up in like public housing at times, all these different mm. things, it's just like, it's just a nod to the black experience. Yeah. And so once we got on IG, it was just, I mean, it was just, or, it was organic for me because I already had a Tumblr account. And before that I had like Zanga and Black Planet, like everything we talked about last time. Right. So it was nothing, I didn't realize I had already personally cultivated a conversation because I also studied and did stuff like Schomburg, you know, mm. like blackness, uh, visually and like in writing was something that I've been fortunate to really spend a lot of time with mm -hmm. and so from there the Instagram just grew and people got into it because I guess it also wasn't self-serving in a sense that it was like oh it's pictures of us it was yeah. just kind of like you guys never post pictures of y'all hey thank you because it's just like it we don't and what people first of all I don't even really do conversations like these because I don't want the message to ever be about me and Justin mm -hmm. feels the same way about himself mm -hmm. and it's hard living in this culture that we all grew up with celebrity culture TV so everyone wants to be seen right and we're like the contrary we're just kind of like I don't want to be seen but people are like well you look nice like you want to be a, a picture taken of taking care of taken of you it's just like no I'm I just decide to take care of myself just to, well, you just want to like serve the your community absolutely I understand that so from the IG and then so Justin made the website um, and we both give each other free reign mm. to do whatever it is that you do. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you're going to make the website, I ain't got, you just show me what you're thinking about. Then I can say, oh, well, what about this? Or yeah. like for me, it was just also really natural to make a SoundCloud because mm -hmm. we listen to so much music. Yeah. It, Very Black is really me and Justin coming together, combining our um, 
you know, our blessings, you know, yeah. our talents and, and and what happens when those things come together, and how explosive they are. Because I have clearly for X amount of years been performing and making art and doing things. Justin had been doing e-commerce and doing things like that. But the moment they came together and that synergy outside of just our apartment and our small circle of friends, it was it was really explosive. But we really got to shout out our community who are also folks who are very black and that's why they took it on so personally and we're just kind of like no that's me yes you know? they identify absolutely tell me about a good moment that very black has brought to you a good moment very black has brought to me oh for sure afropunk having gone to afropunk since its inception mm -hmm. like years ago um, going all the time as like a baby Afropunk and then like book, like growing into this like traveled man, intellectual Afropunk person. Um, it was really exciting when they invited us to have a, a section, a tent at yeah. Afropunk a couple of years ago because that amplified where we were already going and it helped us solidify it because I am also a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a classroom. So I that doesn't make me less of a teacher. You know, instead it makes me always think about a lesson plan and things like that. And so what we did at Afropunk was we had the tent and there was a section in the middle that was all white and we had two kente cloth on the side of it mm -hmm. um and we had blank pieces of small tablet papers that said very black is with an ellipsis so it said very black is dot 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 mm -hmm. and i brought my personal coloring supplies because i still color coloring pencils um markers crayons mark whatever so it was really cool because my idea was to let people express whatever very black meant to them. They didn't have to write it. They could write it. They could take a Polaroid of it, put it on there. They could color it. They could draw it. And what happened is everything was uniformed, like mm. in a row on the kente cloth with this white paper that says very black is. And after yeah. everyone filled one out, they applied it to the white blank space. And eventually all of the white blank space was filled with all this color filled with all these different expressions of what very black is and we still have those little things and that was mind blowing because that was the ultimate experience i think a pedagogue an educator could feel when you feel that the people that you're working with and you're inspiring and inviting them to think about themselves mm -hmm. and you see them engage it right and no the, the product of that yeah and from there people started to get it because it was at one point it was met with a lot of resistance like what is very black da, 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 I don't understand and that kind of that hurt because it's just like it's a celebration you know right like you weren't trying to define like being black no. and maybe people saw it that way you were just trying to talk about it yeah like that's <laughs> it just like what is it to you so if this is black what's very black you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, what does the word very mean? How do we use the, how do we use everything from verbs, adjective, articles? Like, I, I love words and especially because I'm a polyglot, so I speak other languages and mm -hmm. I realize what one word may mean to me may mean something completely different to a culture. So what does this word mean to my direct culture? Yeah. And what does this mean to people who aren't directly linked to this culture in a way that they think they are, but they are? And so it's this like, very Franz Fanon, Freudian, um, contemporary way of approaching identity, but mm -hmm. without making people feel like they aren't enough, yeah. you know, but they just, as a matter of fact, they're very. Yes. So it's a confidence that's added to it. Yes. And another time was going to, um, being invited, we were invited to the vice president's house uh, at the time. I was hoping you would mention that again. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Joe. Um, Joe Biden, shout out to Kerry Twig holding it down, P.O.P. Um, that was really amazing. And I think for me, what made that really special was because we do this. We've never done it for recognition. In fact, we don't even I don't think we realize that people recognize it, if that sounds weird. Because, mm -hmm. for instance, when I post on the Very Black Instagram, I post and I sign out. Yeah, I don't look at it. It would drive me crazy. I would literally <laughs> go mental. So instead, I'm like, oh, boom, post that. And so when 
later you get invitations to things because they emailed us several times and we were just kind of like is this real you know you get them old like, <laughs> like emails is this like a real white house right. email address and who's carrie twig right and, and she's really adamant about us coming to this and when yeah. we went it was and so and, oh and so people know carrie twig was a part of the obama administration bay. she was the she bay she is she's the bay of the obama administration Ashe. Absolutely. She's pro- she might get mad at us for saying that, but it's chill. But she goes so hard for yeah. Barry Black. And that meant so, it means so much because, like, she didn't know that I was a cancer survivor. So she mm-hmm. didn't know my history with health. And so, you know, the former vice president and his son, Bo, his son's transition, you know, after uh, battling cancer, meant so much to me to actually meet uh, Dr. Joe Biden. And, yes. and, and the VP. In his home, right? In his home. So Carrie was a special, one of the special assistants to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And a personal it, liaison to blackness in the yes. world on a and governmental so level. It shows you how important it is mm-hmm. to have someone like Carrie who is of a mixed racial background, yeah. really into art, a, a total like political wonk geek, it, but also like is so attached obviously like to her background and like takes so much pride in it and wants to lift others up who she yes. knows are doing good work into these traditionally white spaces absolutely and see and can recognize those who are doing the work the real earnestly. work yes i mean because we all of the money like when we started very black i didn't have a job mm-hmm. you know and it was me using whatever resource because that's what i'm in I'm an artist. I'm a creative. I use whatever I have. I've never felt as though I didn't have enough of something. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that I have what I need. Um, I don't know if that's from the church influence, you know. Or yeah, just, I, I feel like that's black people. I feel like I we think that's very black. Do that's very with black. What we have because we've had to. And that is it. Keep talking. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's like point blank across taking care of our families, across yes. working in media. Maybe you have a, you're the editor in chief of a magazine and you don't have a great budget, but you still put out a dope cover every month 100%. with what you have. You know, I think it go. It's what it's what we know how to do. Yeah, and that's who we are. And I think, for instance, being so fortunate to have studied and traveled and and tap into just the, the the multiplicity of the diaspora of blackness is always so ins- awe-inspiring because I'm always just learning about us. And I'm always, because I can, I have been taught to imagine life before, um, you know, the transatlantic slave trade, before mm-hmm. colonialism, like Africans have lived and have created multiple things that, I mean, like I mentioned last time, I'm like, impress me when you make a pyramid. You know, like, that'll show me something. Well, you know what I mean? Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and that is the braids that we wear. That's the way that we walk. That is not only our resilience, but that is our resistance. Our resilience, resistance to Freudian slip. But, yeah, all those things just, they just show up in Very Black. And they also show up with um, not worry, being worried about respectability politics mm, or being yes. liked. or Because I literally don't struggle with if I'm ghetto, I know I'm ghetto, and I know I'm refined, and I know I'm ratchet, and I know I'm bangy, and I know I'm classy, and I know I'm, I'm all these things, you know? And I think Very Black has been a way for me, personally, to channel all of these different intersections of identity and ways to show those who already identify that you matter and that you, you've been here, you've been lit, and for others that may be ashamed of it, that they then see others engage it, because not everyone is looking at the same thing on Instagram. Not everyone is having these conversations. And I know that because I'm shocked every time someone meets me and they're like, you're so brilliant. I'm like, what? I, I come from a, a, a mob of these joints. Like, <laughs> you know, we're growing thick like mildew, yeah. you know, so. Okay, let's get into the plus one segment. Hey. Do you, re- I'm trying to remember what my plus one they was. They can't see my Millie Rock right now. I know, it's, it's so me, good. It, it's so sturdy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uniform. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our plus one, which is the Bay Area and tech and where you are looking to move in yeah. that direction. Yeah, I'm thinking for sure. So I'm thinking, So first of all, I had an amazing past weekend. Yes, um, that was really the plus one. Now it's all coming back to me. You had an amazing weekend in the Bay Area. That was weeks. But then yes. I had an amazing, it's kind of interesting to describe it because Bahia in Brazil means Bay. 
So I had um, a dear friend of mine who is a, one of the most amazing singers, everything that I've ever known, Magari Lord, who I performed with in Carnival in 2012, who's from Salvador, Bahia, Brazil, was performing at Newark Brazil Day in Newark, New Jersey. Yes. And, you know, we he hit me up. And I danced and I was back on the stage with someone who I adore, who I respect, who also lets me be me, mm-hmm. you know, and it was really amazing to be back with my Afro-Brazilian folks speaking Portuguese. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still thinking in Portuguese, which is amazing. So mm-hmm. that bay tied into the other bay and just looking at the correlation. Um, so the Bay Area, I had the pleasure of going out there last month with um, an invitation by a dear friend of mine named Shadon and... I mean, it was just, it just made so much sense from the history to the microclimates to the produce to, in a history meaning, the history of the Black Panther Party to feminism to gay rights to health advocacy, all those things that are really important parts of my specific identities and experiences. So going there really opened me up, but I was also really excited to learn about tech and cannabis, you know? Mm. Like these industries that, one thing I have an observation of, because all these things, everything is Sankofa to me, like reflecting on the past. And so I'm thinking about all the brothers, all the men, all the folks in my life, women as well, who have gone to jail and done time for like selling weed. Mm -hmm. And then you got the cannabis industry, which people are making millions. Who's selling? and really like thriving in the cannabis industry are not black folks you know what i mean and so that's very interesting to me because i enjoy cannabis um and so being able to just how do i grapple with that so there's a lot of tension and then with technology it's just like one thing i'm interested with tech is humanities in tech Mm -hmm. so i'm interested in empathy and how people um experience tech and it ties into very black because when there's this visceral response if i can write right. post an image from the last episode of insecure and be like hey black folk how y'all feel about this dinner and yeah. it's like opinions yeah. <laughs> it's like emotion so i yes. want to know about the algorithms i want to know about the data yes but it's also very african to me too like i think uh, since our last conversation i was thinking about the orisha ogun who is the father of technology and iron Mm. and iron can be used to hurt us but he uses iron to protect us and you know all those things have been coming to me and i'm just very open to um expanding the conversation in whatever way that i can possibly do so because i'm interested in health and technology Mm -hmm. you know all these um basically the culture and tech that i didn't even know was um a thing per se Mm -hmm. until i went to a conversation about black folks in tech at squarespace about two weeks ago okay. and my question that I posed to the folks on the panel and generally other folks that were just in a room who are in tech is how does one enter the conversation if that's not their specific background if they're interested in the humanities and technology the arts and tech because to me tech is art straight yeah. up algorithms that's all that math is art all that you know? right I know I'm glad that you see it that way too because that's the way I see it absolutely and Art is messy and complicated, or it, at least it can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am really into picking that apart and being okay with that. Just the way, same way that news is messy and pop culture yes. is messy and As politics humans, is messy. Humans yeah. are messy. And humans are messy. So I'm into like discovering all of it. I wish I could remember my what my plus one was. Oh, okay, yes. Okay, so my plus one was the Pocket app. And specifically the reason why I love... The Pocket app is because it allows... I don't know if other people are using it this way, but I use Pocket to archive pieces mm. that I don't want to forget. Yeah. The thing that sometimes really gets me down specifically about like the content cycle is you could write a piece that is... You're lucky if people are still talking about it a week later. It's true. You know, like you worked for years on this investigation or on this piece in... Some writers are always looking to create timeless work that isn't just about the moment Mm -hmm. and it's not just about the clicks and it's about how things will will resurface. Yeah, absolutely. But I love this because especially as as a news curator, I have these like very specific tags and Mm -hmm. I don't like just get rid of long form stuff. I want to be able to basically use my pocket to remember what people wrote and to kind of look back and reference it when I need it. So shout, shout out to the pocket app for 
even well, as a well, curator, yeah, you allowing me as a curator, it's become a tool for me in that way. That's dope, and I think, for instance, it's referential. Yes, and I think, like for instance, very black is that it's it's mm -hmm. like pulling back and 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 contextualizing. I think we talked yes, about that a lot. Contextualization, where I. I, I love things that I've experienced in it often. In fact, I feel like when I if I come across something that speaks to me, I'm always trying to interweave it to something else. To be yeah. like, oh, someone wrote a piece about that and I read it in like my debates and performance studies class in undergrad in like 2009. Mm -hmm. How does that connect to this right now? And then reading it and then really getting into it. But that's the thing, I love going deep. I love it. I love it so much. I love references I love. and that's good yeah and i think we can help to teach other people who are really interested in that as well that it's okay and that's okay yeah and if you're not i think that that's fine too but you have to be open to those who want to tell you more mm -hmm. and that they don't make work to be liked yes it's hard out here for a pimp though it is hard out here for a pimp anyways very hard those those are our plus ones Mm -hmm. <laughs> now you're thinking about it. I can see in your face. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Let's shout out. Let's shout out one writer or one creator who we think is not doing it for the likes. All rights ain't reserved. Who's that? He's on Instagram. He is so brilliant. And I feel like everything he makes is personally for me. He's like one of the only things. All rights. All rights. All oh. rights. Ain't reserved. Who is this? He's just brilliant. Like oh my he, gosh. He makes the most amazing videos, and like I want him who, no, who to continue this? to do it. Who is this? Do you know who this is? I've, we've met a couple times in person. Like I've and he and I love that he'll delete his whole Instagram and put up some new stuff. He just yeah, this is brilliant. We he is our plus one. He's the he's so, creating these really cool videos. And they're they're our generation. Like I think yeah. these are the people that I live for. Yeah, it's these so are the many of who them. I live for. It's so many of them that we see each other and we fan out. It's the people who have like 123 followers that I'm just like, oh my God, I love you. Because yeah. they, it's so, I was thinking recently about being a hungry artist and I yes. think I'm definitely hungry, but I'm also in a place where I just have to also be mindful of my surroundings a lot because I don't think about um, the Very Black Project in a way that a lot of people perceive it as. Mm -hmm. To me, it is a love project. Me and Justin look at it as like, as I, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but it is literally a gift from the ancestors. So we yes. have to take care of it. You yes. know, it's like this y'all little brother, y'all little sister, watch them. Yeah. We're like, oh, my God, how do we do this? It's like, they're so cute. Then it's like, oh, my God, I just shit it, you know. And so being able to do that. So when I see people like this, I just I'm just really inspired. And I and I have so much respect and reverence for that rawness and that sincerity of, of genius. Yes. Well, Andre, thank you for coming to the studio again. This has been such a treat. Oh, nada, querida. No prazer. What does that mean? That means nothing. It's 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 nothing, dear. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Alrighty, well, let's sign off and yeah. thank everyone for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening.